Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. God, we are just truly without words for the love that you have for us. A love that we didn't earn, a love that we don't deserve, but you give to us freely. We willingly accept your love this morning, God. Pray that as we open your word and as we share, that we would be a blessing to you and that you would speak to our hearts. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. I just want to share quickly, um, as we continue through our study of Genesis, this morning we're going to be kind of going into an area that a lot of people have some difficulty in, in, in accepting and understanding, you know, who God is. And depending upon uh, your background, depending upon, you know, grew up in a church, some people didn't grow up in a church, some people have known God all their lives, some people are like, God who? Uh, but depending upon your background, you may fall into one of those categories. Uh, I know that the, the topic that we're going to be discussing is a little bit hard for some people to grasp because it has to do with trusting God. Now, I have people that I know, and maybe you people know, who have trouble believing in God as a whole, They're believing that God exists, uh, and you don't have to raise your hands, but you probably know of someone who's like, ah, that whole God thing, I don't know. I, 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 I haven't seen it. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. And, you know, if you look online today, you know, depending upon what you see and where you're looking, the way that some people who claim to be Christ followers are acting, uh, some people are like, there's no way I can believe that there's a God. Uh, or some of the things that we see, some of the people that talk about, you know, how can there be a God when there's so much suffering in the world? How can there be a God when there's so much hurting and, and violence? And, you know, how can God exist and allow that? Um, and we're also going to talk about the people who do believe in God, but they really have trouble believing God. It's not that we don't believe in him. And I've been there. You don't have to raise your hand. Where I've had trouble trusting God for either something financially or medically or, or relationally or just in general when God says, this is what I want you to do and this is the way I want you to go and there's all these doubts because some of us have probably been in a place for whatever reason where uh, we have doubted God in the past. And that's not new, okay? That's biblical. There are people throughout the Bible who have doubted God and God didn't put it in there so that we can say, this is what I'm supposed to do but so that we can look and say, yeah, they're just like me. They, they doubted God. They didn't trust. They didn't know what God was going to do. So we're going to talk about uh, the life of Jacob. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up uh, to the book of Genesis, chapter 28. And we're going to really look at some of the passages that may be familiar. Some of them may not be too familiar with you. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. We'll have someone bring one to you. Should be one under your chair, left, right, in front of you, behind you, somewhere. But in Genesis chapter 28, just to give some background, we're looking at uh, Jacob, uh, his life, but where we're picking it up 
is in the life of Jacob and his brother Esau and their father Isaac. So in Genesis chapter 28, uh, in verse 6, this is what we read. Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padamaran to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Now this is the same command that Isaac's father Abraham, Abraham gave that command to his servant, Eleazar, when he went, told his servant, go look for a wife for Isaac. But he said, don't go to the Canaanite women. And it's not that God was racist. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with God was looking for like-minded people. And I've shared this before, especially when I do marital counseling. Uh, if, if you have different morals and beliefs, which depending upon your religious background, that could be an issue, then someone's going to have to compromise their morals and beliefs in order to make the marriage work. So verse 7, uh, he said, don't marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padam Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite woman were to his father Isaac, which they weren't. But this is what he did, verse 9. He went to Ishmael, who was his uncle, and he married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Now, here's, here's basically what happened. He thought that the Canaanite women were kind of like, you know, my father doesn't like those women. So he said, I'm going to go marry one. Because his mind was, I'm going to do this to, this to spite my father. Now, anyone that has children, anyone, doesn't matter what age you are, there is going to come a point when our children do something to spite us. Whether it be, I'm going to enter, because Moses makes a point of saying he already had other wives, so it wasn't like he was there and he fell in love. It wasn't like he was there and some woman, you know, kind of seduced him. He specifically went there just to get another wife, despite his father. And our kids are going to do things to spite us. And we have all, because we weren't born Christians or born loving God, have all done things to spite God. Even a lot of the people who say, I don't believe in him. But our role as parents is to do the same thing that God does when people do things to spite us, especially our children, love them. Continue to love them. Yeah, add some correction. Uh, maybe give them some advice, depending on their age. If you're like my mom, spank first and then add some love. And that went on until I was like 15. And that only stopped because I was bigger than her. And she said I was too heavy across her knees. But otherwise... She would have kept it up forever, but continue to love her. Because with every spanking, with every rebuke, with every vocal, hey, you can't do this, and I'm not telling you to spank your kids, I'm telling you that's what happened to me. But with every time, she would follow up with, hey, I love you, but this cannot happen. This thing that you did, this cannot continue. And this is what we read in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, he set out for Haran, and when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Now, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway. If you've read this in the King James Version, it says a ladder, and some people might be familiar with that term, Jacob's Ladder, other than the movie. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So in his dream, he saw that there is access now between heaven and between earth. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And note what God says. Pay special attention to this. He says, God says, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying, so I'm going to give you this property. 
Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. So he says, I'm going to give you a family. Because Jacob wasn't married at this time. He was going to look for a wife. He wasn't married. He said, I'm going to give you not just a wife, but a family and descendants that are going to spread out all over to the north, south, east, and west. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. We standing on this side of history know that he's talking about the birth of the Messiah. And he said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. And here's the key thing. He says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Now, pop quiz. Here's a question. What did, just based on what we read, what did God require from Jacob in order to give him all these things? Nothing. He said, I'm just going to do this. Now, this was a following of the Abrahamic covenant, which we talked about, uh, these exact same promises that God promised. Uh, but he did not ask anything in return. But when Jacob woke up in verse 16 from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in his place. Check, because God was. And I was not aware of it. Check, he wasn't. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Unchecked, cross, wrong. See, he had it right that God was in that place, and he wasn't aware of it, but it wasn't that that was the house of God. His understanding was the same understanding as a lot of people who are maybe seeking God, or one of the reasons they reject God is because they think, if I go to a certain place, like once I get inside the four walls of the church, then I'll find God. Or if I do these things right, then I'll find God, and I'll have access to God or access to heaven. But what God was showing him is that, hey, it's not this place that provides access. It's the relationship that I have with you that provides access. And it's through whose descendant, his descendants, Jesus Christ, and his birth and then death and then burial and resurrection, that all humanity has access to God. It's not about a place. It's not about if I get here and I do these things right, or if I'm only in this building, or if I'm only a part of this denomination, it's really about if I am willing to let God be a part of my life. Now, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. He set it on the pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, now here's the thing. God revealed to him, I'm going to do A, B, C, D, E, all these things. I'm going to do it for you. I'm not asking. His response to God is, if you do these things. So if God will be with me, even though God said he was, and will watch over me on this journey, even though God said he would, and I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, even though God said I'm going to provide for you, so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. And that word tenth means a tithe. God told them, hey, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to protect you. I'm not going to leave you until everything that I said is done. And his response is, well, if you're really able to do this, God, which is the way a lot of people think today, either in believing in God or just trusting God uh, and his promises. And what most people do is they say, and I've talked to people who said this, and I had this thinking myself when I first became a Christian because I was in the military at the time. It's like, all right, God, I'll trust you and I'll believe you if you keep me safe. But no matter what your situation is, if God keeps you safe in that situation, there's always going to be another one because that's the world we live in. 
I'm sure the guys who were, you know, and the coach and the kids who were stuck in a cave didn't see that situation coming. I'm sure the, uh, uh, the people who, you know, accidents happen, get hit uh, by a car crossing the street, didn't see that situation coming. So the requirement, God, if you keep me safe, isn't going to work because if he keeps you safe in one situation, there's always another situation because we live in a world where mean people do mean things to good people. Something could happen. But they also uh, make requirements if you provide for me. Even though God told them, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to provide for your family. Uh, I'm going to provide provision for you and see you back here, and I'm not going to leave you until this is done. But st- people still question. And I know, and I've shared this before, uh, years ago, uh, when I was working for a telecom company, and uh, after I had successfully laid off all these people, it was my turn, and then I got laid off. I was like, all right, God, I really need you to provide for me. Because going from a six-figure income down to unemployment doesn't pay the bills. And can you imagine trying to tell God how math works? But that's what I was doing. I was like, God, I don't know if you could do the math. You could borrow my calculator. But it's not going to work. So you got to do something. And here's the thing, and I've talked about this before, too, because uh, there are people who say, if you do these things and I'll believe in you, and what really is, is, is the people who say, hey, if you do these things, then I'll tithe to you. And God doesn't require, like the law anymore, for you to tithe. We don't tithe because God requires it. We tithe as an act of worship because God is worth it. So that, hey, God, if you do these things for me, I'll tithe. It's, it's almost like a blackmail situation. It's almost like, a, okay, God, what have you done for me lately? Or what can you do for me in the future? And if you do something, then I'll give you back the money without us really understanding that the money we have is because of God has poured out his blessings on us. And it's hard for a lot of people to understand that, but uh, really quick, despite the requirements that Jacob placed on God, saying, hey, God, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, God continued to bless Jacob like crazy. I'm going to jump through a bunch of verses, so I'm going to put them up here on the screen. And it starts uh, in Genesis, so we're continuing in Genesis, jumping just a few chapters ahead to Genesis 29. Uh, Jacob makes it to his uncle's house, Rebecca's brother, Laban, and Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel, Leah's eyes were weak and dull-looking, but Rachel was beautiful and attractive, and we don't know quite what that means. Some people say that, well, we know what beautiful and attractive means. But by weak eyes, some say that, you know, some commentaries say that her eyes were crossed. Others say that she wasn't as attractive to look at, and that's the way to say it. We don't know which or what specifically he means by that, but we do know that Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will work for you for seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So he tells his uncle, hey, you know, you've got two daughters, the younger one, Rachel, I want to marry her. I will work for you for seven years. You allow me to marry your daughter. Now, what Laban does is after, you know, he says, okay, that's a deal. We have a verbal contract. Um, You can marry her. But then when the wedding comes, he says, "Ah, you kind of got to marry the older one first. We're obligated to marry off the older daughter first. And so then Jacob has to work another seven years for Rachel. But that seems kind of foul. 
in my mind, I'm thinking, God, how can you allow that to happen? You said you would bless him, and you said you would take care of him. But if that had not happened, we wouldn't have the line from which Jesus Christ comes. Because when he married them, now, a lot of you guys are familiar with this. Abraham was married Sarah, and he was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, but from four different wives, from Leah, the older sister, gave him the first four children that he had. The fourth one being Judah, the line from which Jesus Christ was descended. Now, Rachel ended up giving him Joseph and Benjamin, but the whole 12 tribes of Israel came from across those four women. And I'm not saying that God caused it to happen, but definitely God knew it was going to happen. And if God had not allowed it to happen, then we wouldn't have come with the 12 tribes of Israel that make up, you know, not so much now, but that made up the nation of Israel. And it says 12 tribes because Joseph, uh, who we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Joseph, actually next week, Joseph, who was the son of Rachel and Jacob, he had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. But then when Jacob was blessing them, he said, hey, because of all you've been through, all the hardship Joseph went through, I'm going to treat your two sons as if they were my sons. They'll receive a blessing from me as if they were born from me. So Ephraim and Manasseh take the place of Joseph, and they take the place of Levi, because God said, hey, the Levites, they're not going to get an inheritance and all that stuff. Their inheritance is worshiping me, which that on itself is mind-blowing. But then jump ahead, and in Genesis chapter 30, when Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, they didn't have Benjamin so much later, he said you know, to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own place and country, give me my wives, my children for whom I have served you, let me go, for you know the work which I have done for you. So basically he's saying, hey, now I've got, I've got all these wives and sister wives, whatever you want to call it, I've got all these children, Joseph was the last one born for a while before they had Benjamin. So he had 11 kids. He had plenty of herd and cattle and stock. He had, you know, his own little farm and business. And he was like, let me move away from you. I'm done working for you. But here's what Laban said. Laban's response was, if I have found favor in your sight, I pray, do not go, for I have learned by experience and from the omens and divination that the Lord has favored me with blessings on your account. Now, what that means is even Laban knew, hey, I'm getting blessed, but not because of anything I have done. I'm just getting blessed because I know you, because you're being a blessing to me. Just being connected to you, it's been revealed to me that, hey, you're blessing me. And one of the ways that he was blessing him was uh, they had a semi-falling out, and so uh, Laban had say, I want you to take care of my sheep and continue to take care of my sheep can't let you go. You're being a blessing to me. A little bit of greed there. So what Jacob did is Jacob took these herds and he created this way where in his mind, when the herds were, are the kids out of the room? Yeah, okay. When the herds were having coitus, he, he devised this plan so that some would be stronger and some would be weaker. And he made an agreement with Laban. He said, hey, as long as I can keep the strong ones and you can keep the weaker ones, you'll still have them, but I'll be working for you for free. And here's what he did. Whenever the stronger animals were breeding, Jacob laid rods in the watering trough before the eyes of the flock that they might breed and conceive among the rods. When the sheep and goats were feeble, he omitted putting the rods there so the feebler animals were Laban's and the strongers were Jacob's. Now, 
I don't know how many of you are farmhands, but there is scientifically, pharmacologically, if that's a word, and biologically, no way that this works. By putting a rod into the feeding troughs while they're conceiving makes them stronger, and if it's not there, it makes them weaker. It just doesn't work. But the only way it works is because God was allowing it so that Jacob could continue to be blessed. And Jacob had so much cattle. He had uh, so many uh, uh, sheep and herds and all those kind of things. And he spent the entirety of his life running from people, even though God continued to bless him. Thus the man Jacob increased. He became rich. He had sheep, goats, manservants, maidservants, camels, donkeys, stuff that we don't, you know, today you would have houses, cars, all that kind of stuff big bank accounts, investment accounts. But it didn't stop him from running. He started off running from Esau, and then later he ran from Laban, since Laban wouldn't let him go. So he took all of his you know, manservants, maidservants, sheep, donkeys, goats, and wives, and he ran from Laban. As he was running with this whole body of people from Laban, Laban he got word that his brother Esau, who he originally ran from, his brother said, I'm going to kill you, was coming to meet him. And his brother was coming with 400 soldiers. Now, to jump to the end of the story, his brother was coming with 400 soldiers just to say, hey, look, God has blessed me too. Let's make up. Let's reunite. Let's put our differences behind us. Jacob didn't do that. Jacob was used to running from people, and when he met up with his brother... His brother said, hey, let's reunite. And he said, we will reunite. You go back and get the house ready. I've got all these people and family and wives and kids. We'll meet you there. And his brother went back, and Jacob went the other way. He's like, I want nothing to do with you. And what we're going to close out on is this passage of scripture that's kind of spiritually confusing and physically confusing, but it's an actual event. As some of you might be familiar with it. Jacob rose up that same night, took his two wives, his two women servants, his 11 sons, and passed over the fort of the Jebuk, and he took them and sent them across the brook, and he sent over all they had. This is before he met up with his brother while he's running from Laban and while he's trying to avoid his brother who he hears is coming at him with 400 soldiers. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And depending upon which commentaries you read, a lot of them think this is a spiritual event, that this was a dream, that this was not a physical event. But the rest of the passages kind of don't make the case for that. And we know that the man, he's later going to identify him, and we'll look at those verses as God, but the prophet Hosea identifies him as the angel of God, which we know is a term that they use for Jesus Christ before he was born as a baby in the flesh, when he would show up on earth. And this is what the prophet Hosea writes. He writes, he, meaning Jacob, took his brother by the heel. That's why his name was Jacob. It means heel grasper, deceiver, supplanter. Took his brother by the heel in their mother's womb. And in the strength of his manhood, he contended and had power with God. Yes, he had power over the angel of the Lord, and he prevailed. And what it tells us is he wept and he sought his favor. And other versions say he wept and he prayed and he was begging. 
for the blessings of God. And going back to the verse in Genesis, it says, And when the man, who we know now is that was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, a couple of things. One is, this is why we know it's, it's true, because for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. He had the physical impact of that. So this wasn't just a dream. And we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh, first of all, was wrestling with him. And second of all, why he allowed Jacob to continue to hold on to him. We're not told why. A lot of biblical scholars think it has to do with the fact that we, in our humanness, we all wrestle with one, trusting God, two, believing in God, and three, accepting what God has for us. Because it's hard to grasp this concept that the God and creator of the universe looks down at us in our little lives and what we're doing in our day-to-day -day and says, I just want to love you. And we do wrestle with that. The next verse, we're told this. Then he said, let me go, for day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you declare a blessing on me. And the let me go, it's not that uh, I, I've, I've talked to some people who said, well, this is a, proves it was a spiritual thing or it wasn't God because he wanted to disappear by daytime. That's not what it was. The reason why he said, let me go, for day is breaking, is more of, hey, let me go. We have been at this all night long. All night long, Jacob wrestling with God. And Jacob gives his reason here. I want your blessing. And I got to admit, for me, been there to where hard to believe God, wanting God to bless me, begging God to bless me. There was a point when I had lost my job and not figuring out how unemployment was going to make it. And I forgot what bill came in. Some bill came in. I had just the previous day watched, literally, them repossess my car. And I sat in a corner crying, like, God, how are you allowing this to happen? How in the world can this be a blessing? And I was there for like, I don't know, I don't want to say hours, but a long time. And there are so many people who are looking for, hey, God, I need this physically, medically, financially, emotionally, relationally, and we like, God, I need it, I need it, I need it, not acknowledging that throughout his word, God has already said, all of these things I will give to you and more. All we got to do is believe and be willing to trust in him. Then the man asked him, what is your name? And in shock of realization, he said, Jacob, which supplanter, trickster, swindler. And he said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, contender with God, for you have contended and have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Israel is a, that the Hebrew for that word is a word that means Sarah, which means prince or contender of, chief of, and then the, the back word El, which means God. And it wasn't that God was looking and saying, hey, uh, whenever God changes our name, it's not for him. He already knows how he sees us. It's so that we can see ourselves the way that God sees us. And Jacob needed to see, remember, 
for us chapters ago, for him probably years beforehand, before he had 11 kids, God said, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to take care of you, and I will provide for you. Don't worry about it. And I'm never going to leave you. And Jacob thought, well, God, if you can do those things. Jacob thought, I need you to do those things. And God said, I want you now to be Israel, someone who knows that I can do those things. Then Jacob asked him, tell me I pray. I pray you, what in contrast is your name? But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And the angel of God declared a blessing on Jacob there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, the face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and my life is spared and not snatched away. And believe it or not, for some of us, whatever that thing is, we need that thing where God shows up physically. But when it happens, we will never doubt God again. Like I said, I've lost jobs, had car uh, kind of towed or, or repossessed, uh, no idea where finances were going to come from, not one day homeless, not one day without food, not one day without God's provision. And from that point forward, trials will come, struggles will come, I don't know how this is going to work, I don't know how this is going to make it, but not one time. I've been able to say, oh, God, I don't know if you can do this. And here's a couple of verses as the band comes up. I just want to share with you guys quickly. This is my favorite verse, like, in the entirety of the Bible, because it sums up, maybe for me, just for me, I don't know about you, what I went through. And I put it in the King James Version because that's how it was introduced to me, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Some versions say he will make your path straight. In any way you put it, in any language, it means trust God. He's got this. And if you trusted him once, whatever that interaction was where you had to wrestle with him, or maybe there's one coming up where you will wrestle with him, where you're looking to need him, where you're like Jacob saying, God, I want you to bless me, and we're going to do this all night long because I'm going to pray, I'm going to beg, I'm going to plead because I need this. When he does, I can guarantee you, you will never doubt God again. Are there more trials that are going to come? Sure. More struggles that are come? Sure. Medical issues, financial issues, more issues that will arise. But once you have that face-to-face with God, no matter what comes, you'll still be able to trust him. Isaiah the prophet put it this way in Isaiah chapter 41. He says, fear not, there is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around you in terror, be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness justice and this last verse in 2 Corinthians, and this is the message version, just because it puts it so clearly, we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These hard times are small potatoes 
compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. And we're going to do something a little different. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their heads and do a little old school, if you will, with every head bow and every eye closed. And I don't know what everyone's situation is, but if you've ever maybe had a situation where you could not trust God, or maybe you were losing hope, or maybe you felt there was a need that wasn't being provided, would you just raise your hand? And we want to pray for you. And maybe there was a situation where, whether it be family or financial, where you had no idea where to turn or who to trust. And God, we just pray for every single person who has ever been in a situation, which is most of humanity, where we didn't know where to turn. We didn't know if we could trust you. Where we were losing hope and losing sight of what you promise in your word. That you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, and that you came so that we might have life to the full. God, you never promised that we would be rich, but through your word and through the Son, your Son, Jesus Christ, you promised that we would be made righteous in your eyes. You never promised that we would have an abundance of wealth or material things. But you promise in your word that we will be overflowing with your love and your, your joy. And most importantly, God, you promise, just as you did to Jacob, that we would always, no matter what we were going through, have access to your presence. As long as we are willing to put our faith and our trust in you. I pray for those of us that have been in those places of not having hope or not having joy, and those who are in that place now, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us your peace, your comfort, and the assurance of your promise. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Don't allow us to leave here still holding on to that mistrust, still holding on to doubt still struggling to hold on to whatever issue we walked in here with. Allow us to just truly and wholly leave it in your hands. Put our faith and our trust in you. We pray that you would bless us as we go. We pray that as we go, we would be a blessing in you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. amen.